And so, in closing, <laughs> that was awesome, but that's a hard thing to follow. Thank you, guys. And so, thank you for being here. Thank you for all of us that are watching online right now. We are closing our study of the book of Revelation. I'll be honest, it's been one of the most exhilarating sermon series I've ever done. And without question, it's been the most exhausting sermon series I've ever done. It's required more work. It's been fun, but it's required more work than anything I've ever tried. And be honest, I still haven't answered all my questions. So I know I haven't answered all of your questions. But you have been so gracious to me during this series. You've encouraged me. You've let me share what I think while uh, having your own opinions. You have uh, just made me feel like this was something we need to do. And I thank you for that. I hope you've been blessed. We are uh, always going to be richer as a church when we just have seasons where we dive into the Word. Now, we're coming to the end not just to a book in the Bible. We are coming to the end of the book that is the Bible. And the ending takes us back to the beginning. In fact, the ending of God's book is the promise of a new beginning. Revelation ends with a preview of coming attractions. We got a lot to do. Let's get started. Chapter 21. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. So, I heard the story of this couple married over 60 years, and they're in a car wreck, and they both are tragically killed. Immediately, they find themselves in heaven. They've been a very godly couple. Peter's given them a tour, and he shows them this gorgeous mansion. I mean, it's decked out with theater room and jacuzzi and beautiful lawns. And he says, this is going to be your home in heaven. You'll live here. And the man says, what's this going to cost? And, and Peter says, it's going to cost anything. It's free. This is heaven. And he takes him out to the back and there's this gorgeous golf course. He said, this is where you'll play. And every week it'll change to another beautiful, incredible course. He said, what are the green fees? No green fees. It's heaven. This is free. He took him to the clubhouse where there was this enormous buffet of incredibly sumptuous foods. He said, this is where you'll eat. Well, what's this cost? You don't get it. This is heaven. It's free. Yeah, but where's the low-fat, low-cholesterol table? No, in heaven, you can eat everything you want. You eat all you want. There are no calories. There is no fat. You always stay healthy. At this, he takes off his cap, throws it on the ground, starts to stomp on it in anger. They ask, what's the matter? He turns to his wife and says, this is all your fault. If it wasn't for those blasted bran muffins, I'd have been here 10 years ago. 
Okay, why? When you hear a story about heaven that involves the physical, like houses and grounds and foods, do you instantly think it must be a joke? Because we haven't preached the complete gospel. Because the good news is more than just the fact that Jesus died for my sins and my soul's going to go to heaven. The good news is a new good. Because remember, the Bible's telling a story, and the story didn't start in Genesis 3 with sin and the fall and a curse. The story started in Genesis 1, where God made a world and said, it is good. And the Bible begins with God's announced purpose to live in intimate fellowship with men and women on a good earth. Now, did the fall cause God to abandon his purpose? Did Satan so mess up the work of God? That God's only option is to go to plan B. It's God's only option to annihilate that which he created and called good. And throughout scripture, the answer is no. That one day, God will put the curse in reverse. He says, I am making everything new. Now, you do not have to know Greek to go to heaven. You won't be able to talk to anybody. But (laughs) there are times when a Greek word study helps. And this is one of those times. Because in the Greek language, in your Bible, there are two words for new. One word meant new as in never existed before. Like This is a new baby. The other word didn't mean new in the sense of time, but new in the sense of quality. Like you ought to come to see the new worship center at the hills. We mean it's been remade. We mean it's a new quality. It's got a makeover. It's the same word that's used in 2 Corinthians 5. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. You're still you. But the Holy Spirit has made you a new you. Now, that is the word that's used here. God is going to make everything new. He's going to give his good creation a makeover. Now, this is the rest of the gospel. Now, we all know Peter's first sermon in Acts chapter 2. We don't know the second gospel sermon ever preached as well in Acts 3. And in that sermon, verse 21, Peter says, Jesus must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. And the prophets, and especially Isaiah, are full of this longing for the new heavens And the new earth. Paul says in Romans 8. Creation is groaning. As in the pains of childbirth. Not for its annihilation. But for its 
redemption. You see, we fail to grasp how cosmic the Christ event was. Yes, the death and the burial, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus forgave your sins and saved your soul. But it did so much more to undo Satan's work than just that. In fact, Colossians 1 verse 20 says that through Christ, God has brought all things back to himself again. And so what is heaven going to be? The end of the book says it's going to be continuity without fallenness. Notice, the book does not end with all of us going up to heaven. It ends with heaven coming down to us. In other words, you are not destined to be a cloud potato. When I was a boy, I got to be honest, I wasn't that excited about heaven. I'm a disembodied spirit floating in a cloud at an eternal church service. That did not sound cool. But that's not the picture painted at the end of Revelation. Coming attractions are amazing, but it's not so much what's coming, but who. It's going to be good because it's going to be God. The last two chapters are filled with these stunning coming attractions. But the star attraction of heaven is God himself. You and I are destined for a future with God. That is so much more intimate than we can even have right now with the Holy Spirit living inside us. Look at verse 3 from the message. I heard a voice thunder from the throne. Look, look. God has moved into the neighborhood, making his home with men and women. Because you see, in this story, the goal was never your salvation. That was the means to the goal. God's goal was always fellowship. God's goal has always been to live intimately with his sons and his daughters, enjoying his good creation. We are going to live with God and not in some way that he's some rock star and every two billion years we see him on a float in a parade. But we're going to be at his table. I can't explain it. None of us can. Our minds are too finite. But God is going to have us sit down at his table. And he wanted you there so much, he sent his son to purchase your seat. It says in chapter 22, no longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him, and they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. You've got to be close to see his face. And you know what's cool about this is that you never... Finish seeing God. He is eternal goodness. He is everlasting joy. He is unending beauty. You don't ever say, well, that's all of God to know. You never 
get through the wonder of seeing God. This is your future. Now, all through Revelation, we've been called to be witnesses. We've seen that word over and over. Witness to Christ. Be strong for Christ. Be bold for Christ. And and what the story is saying is that one thing that empowers and emboldens our witness is the coming witness that we anticipate. And the world needs to hear about this. The world needs our prophetic testimony of coming attractions. When I was a boy, there was a very famous sermon that one preacher went all over the country preaching called, What is Hell Like? Probably spoke a lot of truth. But that's not how the story ends. The book ends asking us to imagine what heaven is going to be like. And heaven is not going to be some foggy retirement village. That's why I loved the song when it came out about 10 years ago, I Can Only Imagine. Which, well, I liked it the first 800 times I heard it, but... There was something true and real about that. It takes what I'm calling sanctified imagination to go where John is taking us. Because John is trying to describe what the Bible calls inexpressible things. He's using the best human words he has to describe what words aren't good enough to imagine. He says, I saw a city coming down. That's important because heaven is going to be people. Lots of people. God likes people. You need to start liking people. You need to get into a small group. You need to get connected to other Christians because that's your future and that's your destiny. That's what God likes. But he doesn't just describe a city. He describes a very real, tangible world. He talks about banquets and he talks about trees, including the tree of life that we're going to eat from. And he talks about rivers and gardens. Because the God that created will continue to create. And I have no doubt there will be animals in heaven. God loves animals. He made them, he called them good. He saved them on the ark. He was even concerned about the cattle when he sent Jonah to Nineveh. Now, I'm not sure about cats. In my opinion, cats came after Genesis 3 and are part of the curse. I know some of you disagree, but I have physical evidence of why cats aren't going to make it. Watch this little video clip. Now, this is the difference between dogs and cats. Dogs help each other. Now watch how cats do it. I got no hope for cats in heaven unless, unless God decides we need something to hunt. 
But the new Jerusalem is going to be full of all the things we love now. In fact, it says the kings are going to bring their splendor. Think about all the cultures that have ever existed and all the best is going to be redeemed. Think about all the kinds of food, all the dress, all the dances, all the music, all the games and the sports. Everything that was good and noble that we've ever known is going to be saved and redeemed. And heaven is going to be a place... With a lot of bling. Let's read some of these verses with me. Chapter 21 starting in verse 10. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high. And he showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. And it shone with the glory of God. And its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel. Like a jasper clear as crystal. And the wall was made of jasper. And the city of pure gold, pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. A quick stop. In the book of Genesis chapter 2, precious stones and gold are mentioned in God's creation. They were good. What happened is we took God's good things and we made them idols. And we tried to make functional gods out of precious things. But in the new Jerusalem, things God made are going to be put back in their proper place. And we can appreciate God for his beautiful creation. It says the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each gate made of a single pearl. And the great street of the city was made of pure gold, like transparent glass. And I did not see a temple in the city. Because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are his temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no more night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it, and nothing impure will ever Enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. John's doing his best. He's trying his best in human words to describe the indescribable. And it's interesting to me that one way he describes heaven is by what's not going to be there. For example, in heaven, there will be no more evil. That's what he means when he says there's no sea there. The sea in the Bible is the place where wickedness and where chaos come from. You don't have to shut the gates in heaven because God is going to protect the borders. No padlocks, no security checkpoints, no alarm systems, no policemen. We're going to be rid of all demonic influence. We're going to be rid of the rebellious world system. We're going to be rid of our own stubborn flesh. And the only reminder of sin in heaven will be the scars that are still on Jesus. And if you have ever hungered and thirsted for righteousness, you are finally going to be filled. There's not going to be any more evil in heaven. There's not going to be any more death. We can't even fathom that because we have so accustomed to the shadow of death. A little over a week ago, one of my favorite sisters here, Alita Lovell, was rushed to the hospital in ICU. Her kidneys were failing. She had fluid all over her lungs and her heart. It was very serious. I rush into ICU to see her. I lean over her and she says, Rick, 
I never noticed before you have gray in your hair. Just my gift of encouragement coming out. Yes, I've got gray in my hair because your hair is going to turn gray or it's going to turn loose. That's what happens. You've heard me say in my 20s, I played basketball all night. I just get up the next day and go. In my 30s, I played basketball all night. I got up the next day and I was sore. In my 40s, I woke up and I was sore. And I didn't do anything last night. And now I'm in my 50s and it doesn't matter because I have to get up all night to go to the bathroom. I mean, I'm just saying, this is what you young people have to look forward to. I heard about an 80-year-old famous conductor at his birthday party. Someone asked, are you still composing? He said, no, I'm decomposing. (laughs) And so are you. We all are. Think about it. Basically, we measure life as a series of losses. We lost our grandparents. We lost our parents. Maybe we've lost a mate. We've started losing our hearing, losing our hair. We've started losing our memory. And someday, we're going to get it all back. Because in heaven, there'll be no more death. There'll be no more rush in heaven. It's not true that time will be no more. Because time is simply the measure or the awareness of a sequence of events. You have to have time to have music. And we know there's going to be great music in heaven. Now, we will live in time in heaven, but we won't live under its pressure. Every day of my life, I feel like I cheated somebody or something. I cheated my wife, I cheated my kids, I cheated my job, I cheated my friends, I cheated myself. Because I just don't have enough time. But in heaven, I'll never have to say, I wish this wasn't over. I'll never have to say goodbye. When John says there is no more night there, he means time will not be in diminished supply. Newton was right. When we've been there 10,000 years, we've no less days to sing God's praise. In heaven, there will be no more frustration in obedience. Because I know I have never lived one single day where I gave God everything He was due. But someday I will. Every thought in my mind will be noble. Every person I see I will love purely. Everything that comes out of my mouth will be gracious and true. With my hands, I will serve gladly and with passion. And I will never pass my peak. And God will finally get what he's always wanted. All of me. And maybe most of all, in heaven, there will be no more barriers. To God. 
Do you notice he said, I didn't see a temple there? The temple was a powerful reminder of God's desire to be with his people. It was a reminder of his presence, but it was also a reminder of the problem. The temple was basically a bunch of walls. Are you a Gentile? Don't you go past that wall. You can't get that close to God. Are you a woman? Don't you go past that wall. Are you not a priest? Don't go past that wall. Are you not a high priest? Don't you dare go in that building. Only one man can go in that building one day a year. Because that's where God is. But there's no temple in heaven. It's interesting though, the city is described by John as a perfect cube if you read the dimensions. There's only one other perfect cube in the whole Bible. The Holy of Holies. What's John saying? The whole city is the holy place. And you are going to spend your entire eternity in the presence of God. And friend, you are never going to get bored with God. This is the rest of the gospel. John's writing to people that are under it, and some of them are getting clobbered, and it is hard. And the gospel is not a promise that you will never suffer. It is not a pass from suffering. It is a promise that God is going to make everything right. And what's coming, what's coming helps us deal with what's happening. Because right now it's hard. But we witness anyway. We witness through what I call a resilient anticipation. We will not give up on our hope. We have seen the future, and we will live in the future tense. Revelation is not written to promote speculation, but to produce determination. Because you can't cope with pain and evil and suffering without eschatology. Without a strong, firm view of what God has ordained for your future. Have you noticed? Most of the best songs about heaven in history, including the spirituals written in our own country, were written by people on the margins, written by people that were oppressed, and they were hanging on to their witness because they knew what was coming. Watch this video clip briefly. This is 10 years ago in Africa. Can you hear one word? Listen for Jerusalem. in the trans sky region of South Africa. It was cold. The people are poor, very poor. In fact, one of those sweet families gave up one of their chickens so that the Americans could have meat for lunch. And as we finished our worship time, it's their custom there to file by each other and they dance and they sing as they leave. And they were singing, Hey, di Jerusalem, Hey, di Jerusalem. And I asked someone, what are they saying? And they are singing, Someday I will live in the new Jerusalem.
And they will. John says, chapter 22, verse 14, Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they might have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. All through Revelation, he's been saying, wear that robe proudly. Stay strong in your witness for Jesus. Don't compromise with this world. Do not sell out. Go public for Christ. Revelation is imploring us not to love most what is going to matter least in eternity. We need to witness to this world by our values and by our ethics that we have absolute confidence in the consummation of a better kingdom. And it's our high view that keeps us from becoming lowlifes. Listen to Peter. He says, we're looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth. He's promised a world filled with God's righteousness and so dear friends. While you're waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in His sight. A weak, pathetic view of heaven is not going to keep a guy off the internet at late at night looking for sites he doesn't need to look for. A weak, pathetic view of heaven is not going to keep my sister from guarding that sharp tongue and not saying things she does not need to say about somebody else. It is a strong, robust view of heaven that inspires us to be holy right now. And it is a robust view of the new earth that produces a strong commitment to this one. And so we witness with what I'm calling a prophetic participation. Let me explain. Jesus taught us to pray. We call it the Lord's Prayer. And nowhere in that prayer did he teach us to pray, Lord, beam me up. But he taught us to pray, Lord, may your will be done. May your kingdom come to earth like it exists in heaven. And we are to be the commercial for this Reality. In other words, we're to be giving the world a taste right now of how sweet it is to live under the reign of Jesus. And it happens all the time. Typically in very small, beautiful ways. It happened just over a week ago in Boston. Laura Wellington was a a half mile from the finish line when the bombs went off. She collapsed on the curb in tears. Brent had finished about 30 minutes earlier. He was walking back with his wife. And they saw Laura. And they went over to comfort her, put a blanket around her, talked to her. Brent asked if she finished, and she said, no. If you don't finish Boston, you don't get a medal. And Brent knew immediately, and he took his medal off. And he gave it to Laura. And he said, I want you to know that I think you're amazing. And you're a finisher in my eyes. Brent leads young life in Alaska. It took him a long time to qualify for Boston. He did not run fast enough to get to come back. He may never get that medal again. He wouldn't take it back. He was asked why. He said, simple. The world needs hope. 
And my mission is to love God and love people. And in just for a moment, heaven came to earth. That's your job description. Revelation is calling us to enjoy the high life right now. Verse 17, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. You don't have to wait. Come now. Drink now. Begin now. See, I just so disagree with those who read Revelation and come up with the thought, well, this world's going to hell. Just let it burn. Beam me out of here. Revelation is not calling us to escape the world. God loves the world. It's calling us to engage the world with God. It takes no great insight to sit back and blast the world. Boy, this world's really, really wicked. Well, you have the gift of prophecy, I can tell. (laughs) What good is that doing? What happens when the people who are the hope of the world have no hope for the world except to leave it. The world is waiting for us to do more than just passively wait for Jesus. We can't give up on the people and the places God has not given up on. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is proof that God's future can come crashing into the present. And the revelation of Jesus Christ is calling us to partner with a God who is not done. Let's give the world right now a revelation of the high life. And it happens all the time. It happened just last month. Two years ago this month, Jack Hoffman, five-year-old boy in Nebraska, started having seizures. A series of tests showed he had a malignant brain tumor. Two very dangerous surgeries followed, but they couldn't get the whole tumor because it's too close to the brain stem and the artery. And so this time last month, They found out that tumor's still growing. So little Jack had to start on a 60-week regimen of chemotherapy. He's still in it. During this time, Jack got to meet his favorite football player for the Nebraska Cornhuskers, Rex Burkhead, a strong believer. And Rex got a lot of people in the Cornhusker football program to start praying for Jack. He even wore a Pray for Jack bracelet all through the season and just a couple of weeks ago Nebraska had their spring football game and some people worked out a very very special moment for a very special boy just watch this he's wearing the number 22 guys it is Jack Hoffman of team Jack coming out of the field right now this fourth down and short 
for the Red Team. Jack Hoffman has been adopted really by this football team. A young man who has battled brain cancer is on the field right now for the Hustlers. One more snap for Taylor Martinez, too, who will hand it off to Jack. So Taylor gets the shotgun set, gives it to Jack. Here he goes. He's got blockers out in front. There he goes. running to midfield. Listen to this crowd. As Jack Hoffman, the young man that, as I mentioned, has really been adopted by this football team to score a touchdown. Oh, wow. What a moment. And both benches empty. That, that was a moment right there. Wow. Goosebumps. And for a short moment, heaven came to earth. A glimpse of coming attractions. It's the ultimate restoration movement. And you're called to join the team. And that's why the very last verse in the Bible is, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. The last sentence had to be grace. Because it reminds us the last sentence is not the last word. God is still writing his story. And the next chapters are going to be so good. Please stand. Our prayer team is going to be down front. I just want you to respond to whatever the Spirit's putting on your heart. Some of you just need to get right with God. You want to be a part of this. Some of you need to come and confess Christ. I don't know, but I'm begging you to do what the Spirit said. Come. Come drink from the water. Come taste the life. Come give your life to Christ. Come be a part of the greatest story ever.